fascinating. Yeah. That, that's what I study. That's what I do experiments with. When you said to me, you know, you're going to do an environmental experiment, my brain went, and I like had a split brain reaction. <laughs> one, one was, okay, if it's about the kind of environments that I'm studying and I love to, I'm game. You know, I'll push this envelope further in the world that I'm studying because that's what this year is about. 2018 is all about growth. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Welcome to my first conversation with Judith Glazer. If you're interested in things like credentials, Judith co-founded the Harvard Coaching Institute, her own consulting and coaching firm, and she's worked with places like Apple and Burberry and Donna Karen, and not only worked with them, but she's met Donna, which she talks about in our conversation, and she works with CEOs at places like this. We met through a close personal mutual friend, so when she and I met, it was at her place in person, and I think that came out that I think you get to see the behind the scenes, the actual who is Judith. In the conversation, she talks about big breaks, about making mistakes during these breaks, but still rolling with them and making things happen. Now, I'm pretty nerdy, and I look at the world in a pretty conventional way, more conventional than her. So we'll see a different side of the environment about science and nature. I would say she's almost countercultural, but you know, very friendly and approachable. So I can see how she gets these really big clients. But mainly, it's a different approach to the environment, still meeting my criteria pretty enthusiastically. So without further ado, here's Judith. Welcome to the Leadership and the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Judith Glazer. How are you doing? I'm doing really terrific. Thanks so much, Josh. Can I call you Josh or Joshua? What do you prefer? I prefer, usually I go by Josh Spoken, Joshua Mm -hmm. Written. Okay. But there are a fair number of people who call me Joshua. Okay. All right. Actually, when we saw each other in person last time, I think I asked you if it's Judy or Judith. I was born as a Judith, and then my parents decided that they wanted to call me Judy because Judy Garland was a very popular person at that point, and um, they saw me as being a talented girl. Judith shared some early stages and challenges in building her career. Then the conversation really got going, and she described the foundations for her work, which was at the intersection between influence, upbringing, and genetics. We don't know when we're born. Our parents don't know although our parents try to influence who we will become as an adult. But in a way, we don't know. We are born with a certain genetic code, and that code can be epigenetic, which means that it it can be influenced by the environment. That's how human growth works. So we're given a certain set of DNA that are turned on and off. Everything is not set in place permanently. It's our human nature to discover who we will become, and we get influenced by parents. And, And I want to share a story about the work I did in disruptive innovation and what I learned there to to be able to tell the kind of story I'm telling you now. Yeah, please. The story is that we are given this genetic code and by interacting with other human beings, by having these moments that turn on and off belief systems inside of us or hope inside of us, 
human beings are designed to achieve this aspiration. Whatever we were designed for, whatever our human nature is, our job in a way, maybe it's not a job, it's our beautiful opportunity, is to learn how to recognize when we interact with things, the things that happen that feel magical are there for a reason. And to allow that to continue to happen because that's where we discover who we are as human beings. And it could take us in directions that we never, ever, ever anticipated. And that's okay. It's what I grew up and my parents said, you should be a teacher. And I said, I don't want to be a teacher. They said, well, if you ha- you'll have the summers off. I mean, they gave me all these reasons why I had to be a certain thing. I ran away from home. I didn't like that type of influence. That's, I was interested in anthropology and archaeology and science and literature and, you know, all these things that were just being invented, semantics and general semantics and linguistics and putting it all together. And they'd look at me like, uh, you're crazy. In fact, they even sent me to a psychiatrist because they couldn't understand my, what I was saying. And the psychiatrist said to me, crazy person, (laughs) he said, you sound like you're schizophrenic. And if you are, then I need to hospitalize you. But if you're not, yeah, yeah. But if you're not, don't talk like that again. And I went home and I divorced my parents even further. And I ended up meeting, and my father actually introduced me to the head of a program at Drexel. She was the, the chairman of this new department in human behavior and development. And My father said, you should interview my daughter. She talks like you talk, (laughs) which I thought was funny. And in 20 minutes, she said, I'm giving you a fellowship. And (laughs) she said, you're the person I've been looking for. And she loved my crazy talk because it's what she was studying, the epigenetics and energy fields and uh, differentiation and integration and generativity and all this language that I had been inventing to explain the world that I saw. And thank God I didn't take the other trade. The other trade was becoming a teacher and spending my summers with my kids and not growing this body of work. Or even being institutionalized. And being institutionalized. And I probably would have found a lot of other interesting people there. <laughs> so, Would you agree that a lot of people in the world could do what you've done, but feel inhibited or scared, or maybe they take the advice of others and say, all right, I guess I should go that narrow path? Yes, yes, yes. I don't know how many times I can say yes. (laughs) That was the best question. I want people to know and to hear and why I love the coaches that sign up for the program that I do from all, we have 75 countries represented. And I feel like I'm speaking to the, my soulmates, my dreamers, my cohorts that really believe that there's another way to look at human nature. And that a lot of the things that are out there is in our old research that led us to where we are now. But the new research is much more interdisciplinary and it challenges old conventional ways of thinking. And so when we bring the epigenetics and, and look at genes and talk about what do we learn about genes and that genes can get turned on and off now through conversation. And then if that's the case, what's the environment that a young baby in the womb, let's go to the womb first. And when David Haig said, oh my God, as a mother is interacting with her baby, which she does all the time, she can create an environment that feels good. She could sing to the baby. She could listen to the baby, find what the baby kicks to. Sometimes the baby may be hearing what you're saying or doing and kick as a result of it or get calm and peaceful. If there are two babies in the womb, they're talking to each other and turning on and off genes. One will be stronger out of that conversation. One will be bigger. One might be born sooner. Um, there are all sorts of things that happen that we're learning now that give us the platform for who we're going to become. And that changes everything. Leadership and epigenetics had not crossed my mind until speaking with Judith. I appreciated what she was sharing. We moved through a section on what it feels like to figure out and ultimately find your calling, which you can hear in the full podcast. Here, she brings her work to ground level. She describes her coaching work, 
challenges of individual change, and observations on staying curious. Everybody had their own passion, but they, had, they saw something or felt something about my work. They picked up words that I was using that had them say, ooh, that's something I'm curious about, or that's what I wanted to know, that's my missing link, or I think I, this is going to integrate, you know, whatever it is that people say to themselves. The second year, we had incredibly judgmental coaches and challenging coaches because they did what you said. They had certain things in their mind that they hoped that they could learn more about and more of. And every time I would introduce something, they'd say, well, isn't that like such and such? Or, you know, that can't be true because of this that I learned. So I was weeding through with them knowledge that they had collected through all of the years, 5, 10, 20, some cases, 30 years of learning. And here I was introducing something that was different. Some the same words, but different. And so they'd hook onto the words that were the same and say, I know that, that's neurolinguistic programming. And I'd have to say, no, that I studied neurolinguistic programming in two different locations when it was first launched in California and New York. And then I explained what is what I learned from it and then explained what is different. And so I did go through that, what would you call it, fire? Crucible. Crucible, the crucible moments and had people ask questions, ask questions, ask questions until all of a sudden I said, we're looking at a framework that's, that's about the brain and it's about how the brain integrates all of these things that, that you've learned in the past. I want to help you come up with a primary focus, one way to focus it in. Because when I did research, I would go out in the beginning with people that were learning something new and watch how they interacted with their new clients or prospective clients. And then I also watched people who had gone through eight courses and nine courses and watch them interact with a customer to see how the learnings that they had about how to engage with people were different when somebody knew nothing, tabula rasa, and when somebody knew a lot of things. And the reality is that the people that knew a lot of things stayed in the intellectual zone of connecting with human beings. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right? And yeah, me for most of my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, and so you know exactly what I'm talking about. We should talk more about that. The ones that came in new and fresh, they'd sit there and they'd say, oh, tell me more. Tell me what you're looking for. It sounds like there's something there I need to know more about. They went into curiosity, into discovery, transparent. They were modest. Like you said in the beginning when you said that I was for somebody that has, you know, what I'm doing, that I still had that modesty. They stayed in that place of super high learning and engaging and connecting and learning about that person. It used to be about, you know, I guess I grew up thinking, you know, used car salesman, the guy selling you the rug at mm-hmm. vacation and, you know, they know everything, you know, nothing and they're trying to trick you or whatever. Right. And this was about empathy and compassion and listening and listening values. And it's not just about winning at the other's expense. And it's more about creating relationships based on understanding and sharing. And And Josh, that's exactly what you just described is that it's a a new reality. You opened a door and you stepped into a completely new reality. And that's that idea of being able to step into new realities and not being called schizophrenic, but having that be in fact a how just a, a part of what it means to be human and not only be human, but to, to test and move your humanity to higher levels with others, not just be the best speaker on the platform, but to learn how to engage with people in a different way and apply this new wisdom at a deeper level. So it's not just a program. It's an embodiment that you learn. This is who you can be with others. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. 
Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. I'm going to jolt the conversation in a separate direction, if that's okay with you. Perfect. Perfect. I love that. So when we scheduled this, and you you know, it's leadership in the environment, and you were very clear, like, I'm not, environment, it's like, that's kind of, I'm not exactly sure what you want to do here, Josh. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to talk about, if it's okay with you, I'm going to switch on to talking about the environment. Yeah, go for it. My goal in doing leadership in the environment, I want to have people who are either leaders or people expert in the environment or both. And I think you're qualified on the leadership front. Mm -hmm. And I want to have people talk about and experiment, do things actively with respect to the environment, because I think there's a lot of missing leadership in the environment. I think there's a lot of people who are, they want change and they're telling other people to change and they're trying to pass laws to force change, but not necessarily change themselves. And I think people can disagree. I look at the environment. I think there's a lot of places that we're messing things up and we could do better. In my opinion, better meaning less pollution, less global warming, things like that. Do you think about the environment very much? If so, what do you think about when you think about the environment? I'm going to challenge you on that word, environment, because I'm going to tell you what came up for me when you said that. Uh And I didn't expect it. So that's the fun of doing things live with someone, not just planning to do it, but actually doing it. So this conversation is doing something different than I anticipated. In somewhere around 2005, something like that, 2006, I was on a board. I joined the board in 2001 and we had a big fundraiser, which we do every year. And it was part of what people could put money onto was called Building with Books. Building with Books is where you donate $10,000. And we ended up doing with another family to build a school in a different part of the world, Africa in our case. And by putting that money in and building the school, and I have a picture of the kids standing in front of the school after it was built, it enabled girls and boys both to go to school where in Africa... In Mali, this particular West Africa, they only had schools. If schools were built, only boys went. And the environment shifted dramatically. So it's a different use of the word environment, but the environment shifted dramatically when we built the school in Mali. And we have a picture of 50% of the kids were girls, 50% were boys. And that meant that girls would be able to, from that school, have a different life trajectory than anything that they would have had before. We changed the environment. So we changed their internal conceptual environment as well as the physical environment. I'm glad that you brought up a more generalized uh, way of looking at environment. And in fact, it was one of the early things that I learned that I took for granted that people saw the environment a certain way that I did. And that really provoked a lot of resistance and was very annoying to people. This was a challenging dialogue for me because I have a sense of what environment means to me and her perspective was different. But then my idea of leadership is not for me to tell others what to think or to impose my views or values on them, but to listen and support them and help them live by their values. So we moved on. Judith spoke about environment in her terms, and I listened to understand her perspective. Everything that I've been doing in the past is leading to where I am now. So I don't want to redirect myself to another something that doesn't hold the high energy uh, frequency that, that this project is all about. What's new for me is that. I almost gave up on the global immersion that I could get the world to think about this. So it's only in the last couple of weeks that I've really been trying to redefine how I approach this lifelong project, if you will, or desire to make something happen. You know, I actually said I'm going to make it bigger. 
rather than downsize or limit myself, I'm going to expand this project and believe that there's a way to get it into every country in the world. That's new. Okay. And that's something you're going to do? Yeah. And that's something that's involving your environment that you're going to actively do. It's different than what some people are doing, but mm-hmm. all of them are different. <laughs> they should, yeah, and they should be, which is great. Yesterday, I proposed a way to make this become more real. So this is parallel with, with your request for me to find something. I came up with the idea of researching with the 2,500 coaches that we have from 75 countries and trying to map out using a global map where people have, in, where they live, where they work, and what area that they want to focus on to bring conversational intelligence to their part of the world. So it could be government, education, early education, university education, what did I miss? Business, you know, those kinds of things. And even sports. And I want to find a map for the people that work with us. And then from that, begin to build cohorts, ambassadors of each parts of the world and of each subject matter area or focus. That's big. I've never thought that big before. So it's like taking on that, this challenge of where in the environment and how do you want to approach it? This is a new strategy for expanding this work in the world that hopefully has more, you know, the kind of gravis that will make it work. So is there any part of it that we could make into a smart goal? I mean, we could talk again in a year, but I wonder if there's any sub part of it that would make it possible to talk in a month or two months or three months or something. This map is a smart goal to be able to create, to map out, to find a way to map out so that we can be communicating with coaches about progress. First of all, to find out that this is something that's in their heart to do, that they're not being told it's a goal that they have to do. It's because this is something that drew them into this work. So we have people with goals or aspirations is the word that I like to use and that they found each other and they kind of say, oh my God, this is my dream team. And I have people that are going to support me. We now know that when you interact with other people and Uh, share with them what's on your mind to create, that it becomes real. It goes from a vision to a reality. And and so I want to learn all the things that we have to help provoke in others who are committed to bringing conversational intelligence around the world. I want to find out what it takes to give them the right food to take them on this kind of journey. And I've never done that before. It's always just been me trying to get people to even listen or think that this is doable and for years and years and years, decades, being told, uh, it's crazy, you can't do that. I don't understand what you're talking about. I feel uh, like saying something as crazy as like waving a red flag in front of a bull. You're like, yeah. fix. now I know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just read how I work. <laughs> so is the smart part of the, of the goal is to figure out the map, is to create a map? Yes. Uh-huh. How long would it take to do it? Three weeks. Three yeah. Weeks now. Mm-hmm. Well, what you're doing, the specifics of it are unique. But it's still about scalable, you know, we're doing something we've never done before. It's Mm -hmm. impacting other people. And so I think the challenges that you face are going to be very similar to the challenges other people face who might be working on litter or pollution or something like that. Uh And so I think people will still learn. And there's a chance that four weeks from now or whenever it is we talk and you say, things didn't go as planned. We had to do all things different. And like, I think people learn from that as well. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Do I have time for a quick little story? Yeah. There's a video that everybody should watch. It's on YouTube. It's Jacob Barnett. Jacob Barnett was diagnosed at the age of one and a half to be incurably uh, on the spectrum and would have to be institutionalized. He could not function with other people. And you'll see him talking at the age of 11 and sharing what he knows, what he does, and what he believes 
And then you're, you will learn now from me that three years later, he was picked by Stephen Hawkins to be his first protege, that he was labeled something that was not who he was because people didn't understand who he was. And this is, again, part of my theory and strategy that we are so much more, to go back to the beginning, as individuals, we all have a unique DNA. It could be very different than other people like mine was and perhaps like yours was. And while you're doing this project, every human being has contributions to make to the world. So people like Jacob Barnett, fortunately, his parents said, I don't believe you, authorities, and I'm going to do it my way. And she and the people that worked with Jacob released in him a genius that they've never seen before since Stephen Hawkins. And he has now reinvented Einstein's theories. He taught PhDs how to become PhDs before he was 14, and so on and so on. So that's what I want to release in the world. Man, I love that what you, in the context of thinking, well, things might not go as planned, things might not work as, you know, things will have to be redone and so forth. That's your mindset. That mindset is so, it's healthy and it's encouraging and it's invigorating. And it means that like it turns challenges into opportunities. And now I sound kind of like cliches, I guess, but it's- It releases- It's trying to put into words what the feeling that you get when you hear that or when when Mm -hmm. you feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine that people used to think that the age of 40, you learned what you want, or at the age of 20, you were who you were going to be. Or at the age of 40, you know, you finished being an adult and, or whatever, and it was getting soon to retire. And we have more people are living to be a hundred. Centenarians are the largest category of growth in the world. People living to beyond a hundred and people are running uh, in major races and doing Ironman at the age of 80, 90. And we just don't even know who we could become. But I do know that it's bigger and more than how we envision ourselves. And technology plays a part in it, helps us redesign our brains. There's so much good there that we have to stop saying technology is bad. You know, so that we have, it's like so much is, thank you for seeing that. And thank you for saying that. Well, thank um, you for sharing what you're sharing. Because I think that anyone listening to this and they're thinking, oh, she's going to be doing something that's different. The difference between what you're doing and you don't know what all the other people are doing, but people who listen to a lot of these episodes are saying, well, it's not going to be specifically like the environment that we've been talking about before. You're dealing with the same things and taking them on the same way. And you're also not accepting people saying, can't be done or Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't matter that way, or you should do it this way. All right, maybe you should do it that way, but I'm going to do it this way. And there's something very, very similar. And from my perspective, and it's not the only way to look at it, but from my perspective, there's a core of leadership personal leadership as well as leading others that you're exhibiting, that it sounds like extremely natural to you. I'm sure learned through discipline and diligence over a long period of time or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but you're not superhuman. No. You're not doing anything that anyone else couldn't do. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to get across. We finished up with the environmental challenge. Judith shared another story, and I think you should hear that on the full recording of this podcast. And this was on failure that isn't really failure, but learning, a typical way that leaders look at the world and react to the world. She then finished with this memory from her early days, which was about seeing things differently and releasing potential by meeting people where they are. Is there anything to wrap up with before finishing the conversation? The last little thing, I got to work with a disruptive innovation project where I interviewed five parents with kids who were extraordinarily breaking out of the normal paradigm. I interviewed all of them and I had them in front of a big audience so that the audience could learn as well about parenting. And the one thing in common was that every parent observed their child to see what their child was interested in and then gave them more. 
and different and more and different, whether it was magazines around the house or whether it was observing the patterns of what they looked at when they went shopping. They made their observation of their children their goal and then to support their child with more and more of what they were fascinated by. And the world, if we could do that, instead of sending people through school where you just learn what somebody else thought was the greatest thing in the world, but you use that as part of what you you learn, but that doesn't become what you get tested on. It's not being right that you can mimic what the teacher thought was good. You have to help people think. And that's what Jacob Barnett's little video, it's on YouTube. And it's how do we help people think and then discover who they are. So I'm excited about your project. I got more excited after the today when you allowed me to take it where my mind and heart wanted to go. So you're doing a good thing, Joshua. Thank you. I mean, when you said it, I thought, do I think everyone's like me who's listening to this? I doubt it. That's gotten me in trouble before. And so I thought, it's, I want to connect with people. I don't want people to be like me. I want to help people mm-hmm. be the best them that they can and to empower them to do what they think is best. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Maybe some people go in a direction they don't like, but I'll take that if it happens. I'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fantastic. Thank you. And Thank I'll you. talk to you again in about three or four weeks. Okay. Fantastic. I'm very excited. Me too. I'm very excited. Okay. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Bye. I loved her and my shared approach to active learning and to doing things, not just talking about things. And I loved how friendly she was. I was challenged to accept her perspective on the environment since I didn't see how to measure some of the things that she was talking about. I couldn't see how I could measure the effects on pollution or CO2 levels and things like that. But her results speak for themselves, so I decided to listen and look forward to hearing her results. As usual, I'm kind of curious. Do I look forward more to her having an easy time, in which case it looks easy to change things, or for her having challenges and seeing her go through them and how you have to work through different things? In any case, I'm looking forward to hearing how it goes. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference, and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.